All right, let's get straight into our first conversation then for this hour. The CEO of the Human Rights Commission, Advocate Tidiso Tipanyani, is on the line. Advocate Tipanyani, good morning to you, and thank you so much for your time today. Uh, good morning to you, Cassie, and to your listeners. Let's talk a bit about this national action plan to combat xenophobia. Uh, Much of the conversation, of course, that we've been having over the last two years has really not centered on, um, you know, what is entailed in this action plan and what is the work that is taking place behind the scenes to ensure that South Africa is meeting what it has set out to in this plan. So give us a sense of what has been happening uh, since it was adopted in 2019? No, thanks. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, South Africa hosted uh, the World Conference uh, on racism in Devon. And uh, one of the outcomes there was that uh, countries of the world should actually adopt uh, what is called national action plans to combat racism and all other forms of uh, uh, unfair discrimination. Mm. Unfortunately, it has taken us this long to have uh, this plan uh, adopted by the whole the idea behind the plan really is for us as a country, as a people, you know, to combine all our resources into a plan which could help us to fight and to combat the racism and unfair discrimination. So this plan basically uh, means, you know, we must look at our laws, our policies, uh, the role of institutions like ourselves, business and media, in how we can effectively uh, combat racism because, you know, uh, racism and, and other forms of unfair discrimination are made a major threat to our democracy and and and, uh, and human rights. Mm. And you know, often we don't stop to reflect on what it means to be living in the most unequal country in the world. We talk about it in the numbers. We talk about it when we address issues such as service delivery, spatial planning. So, so we talk about this inequality. But practically, what does it mean to have South Africa being one of the most unequal countries in the world? And how does that context then influence some of the other issues that stem from our society, including xenophobia, including racism? Yes, unfortunately, uh, these inequalities in our country in terms of wealth and uh, in terms of you know access to state resources and many other issues really uh, to a large extent uh, flows from uh, racial uh, racism and uh, apartheid and, and colonization. And the impacts, as you pointed out, are massive. I mean, issues of uh, uh, gender violence, issues of xenophobia, issues of poverty, where we have high levels of, un- of unemployment in our country. We have over 50% of black South Africans living in poverty. And basically, this is a threat. So uh, we really need to do a lot more as a country to address the effects of racism, and also stop it from increasing. Unfortunately, people are not born as racist, but society makes people racist. Mm. But also we cannot fight racism effectively if we don't address the structural inequalities in our country. What do we need in order to foster greater social cohesion um, in South Africa, especially amongst South Africans and non-nationals? Without justice, without a fair distribution of wealth, uh, it will be difficult to advance social cohesion. You know, uh, at this point in time, we're in Devon, uh, and on, on our hearing, uh, you know, on the unrest uh, in, in, in Kibbutz and in Houghton, 
Mm. And they've got people from Abasani, from Pasem Jondol. And they're raising very interesting points. But, you know, one thing we, t- we tend to forget is that subjecting people to poverty, high levels of unemployment, is by itself a violation of human rights. And people react. Uh, so one of the reasons why, I mean, look at the issue of xenophobia in our country, so-called Afro uh, uh, xenophobia, so to speak. How come it's always targeted to largely uh, black people from Africa, as if other people are not foreigners in our country? And then we say we hate uh, foreigners, but we only hate certain foreigners. So we need to understand what informs uh, these peculiarities. Mm-hmm. So does that fundamentally mean that the only way that we're going to deal with some of what stems from our society is if we are are dealing with the pressing issues that face South Africans, including inequality and poverty? But but does that mean that does that not mean that we're perpetually setting ourselves up for not being able to deal with things like xenophobia? Well, certainly we're setting ourselves up for failure if we do not understand and appreciate the need for all of us to do a lot more to address Mm. the existing inequalities in our country, injustices, poverty, unemployment, gender-based violence, all those things. So xenophobia, to a large extent, the brand of xenophobia in South Africa, to a large extent, is just a manifestation of the challenges. Normal people don't go about killing other people or attacking other people. No. So uh, only when people are subjected to mm-hmm. this situation, but also, you know, we also have criminal elements. So on one level, you know, the law must take its course. Those who attack and violate other people's rights must be attended to. But at the same time, we also need to understand what are some of the root causes which lead some ordinary people to go and do this kind of things, mm-hmm. which go against our values. When you go into communities and you try and really discover what is at the heart of some of the xenophobic sentiment that we have, um, what, 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 what have you found to be the answers? Because, so, so here's a typical example. You will have uh, non-nationals who are running shops in a particular community. By and large, for the most of the time, they're able to live together, the community uses those services, they benefit. The minute that there's a protest that takes place, it is that straw that then becomes some of the target from some community members. People loot, they take whatever they want, and you then see some of the tensions escalate to another level where... um, it becomes about more than just the looting and the thuggery, but you have xenophobic sentiments expressed. Then you have the targeting of non-nationals, some of whom are driven out of these communities. So what happens between the time that people are able to to live peacefully together versus when they are not? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, generally human beings, uh, you know, always find soft targets. Uh, in order to vent our frustrations, we see it in gender-based violence. You know, when a, when a father comes from work very uh, stressed, basically takes it out on children. So the same manner, you know, these communities, we live together. But once people are stressed, then they, they, they basically target uh, those who are next to them. Because otherwise, you know, if it was indeed a, 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 a universal hatred of, of foreigners, we'll be seeing uh, the protest in Sentin. 
uh, in Howard Park, in Howard, in Howard Team, in many other suburbs. No, they take they take place largely uh, in poor communities against people already working there. What about what what about part of what we see in the trucking sector, where you have allegations being made by truck drivers that foreign nationals are getting their jobs, and um, you know then you have the targeting again of individuals. You have trucks being burned down. You have people being killed. How do we make sense of that? Again, that's soft targets, but we're glad now that government is now taking a stand on this to say that, you know, employers uh, should not employ uh, people without papers in the long-distance drug driving because, you know, people were not getting jobs for a number of reasons. So that, that was also another challenge, you know. So as I'm saying, you know, when people are stressed, they will always find soft targets. Those nearest to them. So mm. I guess for truck drivers, you can just burn the trucks instead of taking the fight to government. So what is the work that you as the commission and I imagine other stakeholders have been doing since the launch of the action plan? Well, you know, uh, it's you know campaigns, uh, raising awareness around these issues, but also, you know, making sure that uh, all relevant bodies which can contribute uh, in reversing the, the level of rhythm in our country do their work. Uh, so, for example, our hearing now uh, in, 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 in KZN following the unrest, it's also part of this, you know. I mean, there were racial killings, for example, uh, in in, uh, in, uh, in Phoenix, as well as in, in Peter Marisbeck, and we're facing this, you know, to find out exactly what happened, what could be done better. So this is also contributing to the National Action Plan to be able to effectively combat them and make sure this thing never happen again. Mm. Let's, let's talk about the fact that, you know, this action plan, yes, it talks about xenophobia, but included in there is racism and discrimination. So they, there's effectively an, an interlink between all of these three different issues. Um, does that make it difficult or easier to see where, whether you're making progress in any one of those issues? Uh, not quite. I mean, we should be able to monitor all those things. So, so for example, a uh, few weeks ago, we signed an agreement uh, with uh, with the UNACR, UNACR, to basically address, you know, the plight of non-nationals in our country. At the same time, you know, there are also issues around uh, how do we, how do we effectively address issues of gender-based violence. But at the same time, you know, we need to address the issues of poverty and unemployment. So I guess the commission has a very broad mandate to deal with all issues of human rights. Mm. And, and, and therefore, the plan really needs to be reviewed and we need to be, be refined so that it can effectively speak to our needs as a country. Unfortunately, you know, the past 27 years show that, you know, we've not really done as well as we should. So, for example, we have the Quality Act, which was passed in 2000. Parts of that act are not yet in full operation. We have the Quality Courts in our country, over 300 of them. I mean, how effective are those courts? So we do need to check up all our efforts uh, in ensuring that, you know, we do fight the scourge of racism in our country and other forms of discrimination. Mm. One of the things that had been previously highlighted for, uh, and this was mostly as a, a critique towards why they was such little action when it came to fighting things like xenophobia is that often it wasn't acknowledged as such. So you would have officials coming out and calling it everything but xenophobia. Are we finding that that has changed? Well, it is uh, slowly changing. I guess there was a bit of denial at the beginning. 
uh, especially around 2008, you know, we spent about a month in Alexander, uh, you know, to speak to our people. Because, you know, I would say, for example, you know, take Alexander, for example, since 1994, people have been living there peacefully up until 2008. So what happened? Mm. You know, and what must we do to make, to make sure it does not happen again? So I think, you know, as I'm saying, you know, when people get frustrated uh, generally with, uh, you know, their lives, the human rights situation in our country, they tend to, you know, uh, uh, find, express uh, this against uh, people who are easy, easy targets. We didn't much to, to, to send him to, comp- to complain about the situation in Alexander. Mm. Instead, we, we banned uh, shacks in our, in our neighborhood of people we've been living together with. We're in conversation with advocate Tsidiso Tipanyane. He's the CEO of the Human Rights Commission. And we're talking about the National Action Plan is to combat xenophobia, racism and discrimination. But today we're really focusing on the xenophobia aspect of this conversation. And uh, I wanted to hear from you, you know, what do you believe is a key driver of xenophobic sentiments or even xenophobia in this country? Advocate Tibanyani talks about how, you know, many non-nationals become easy targets in vulnerable communities. So they become the easy place where people can take out their frustrations. Is that the case? Is that uh, is inequality part of the reason to blame for xenophobic sentiments and xenophobic attitudes? Is poverty the reason to blame? And and what happens? If the economic situation in the country does not change for the better anytime soon, does it mean that these attitudes, that these behaviors will continue for as long as we have poverty? And Advocate Tipanyan, I think this this will be a good place for you to to come in again and, and reflect for us because is it on some is it in some ways not giving justification? or excusing behavior that really should not be taking place in this in in the first place no certainly we should not uh, excuse nor condone uh, xenophobic attacks on anybody but we also need to understand what causes them and what must we do and as i was saying you know in our country uh, not all foreigners get attacked uh, it's a peculiar uh, type of foreigners and, you know, I'm just reminded now of the preamble of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights 1948, that, you know, in order to make sure that, you know, we don't force human beings uh, to rebel against tyranny and oppression, we do need to address human rights issues. So we need to understand what makes ordinary South Africans, you know, strongly turn against their own neighbors and say they must go back to Zimbabwe or go to back to Malawi, even though they've been living with them for many decades, they will intermarry with them, but they, they won't go to Sentin and how to say, well, uh, or the Chinese must go back to China, or, or, or Dutch people must go back to, 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 to Holland. So we need to understand this phenomenon and, and so that we can better deal with it. Okay. I'll be taking your calls on 11 I see uh, some voice notes coming through already, so I'll take more on 0614-104-107 on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag SFM Talking Point, trying to understand what fuels xenophobic uh, violence, xenophobic tensions in the country. You've heard some of the issues that 
that the Human Rights Commission is looking at. Do you agree in as far as what you're seeing in your own communities? It's 10.30. Zolakat Kodashe is standing by with the latest news headlines. We'll continue this conversation on the other side of this. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, so we continue the conversation looking at what is fueling and what drives uh, xenophobia in this country, whether it's xenophobic attitudes or sentiments or even just the violence, xenophobic violence that is meted out against non-nationals. And it's in the context of the National Action Plan. It was launched in 2019. Uh, the Human Rights Commission is really the central figure there in terms of, of ensuring that there is alignment with that plan. Advocate Tidiso Tibanyani is the CEO of the HRC and we're in conversation with him this morning. We're going to take a couple of calls. Mr. Sheikh, I see you're calling us from Lady Smith today. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Yes. And good morning to your team and all the listeners. Uh, I've been listening to the program and uh, these, uh, there's a gentleman there from the Human Rights Commission. Uh, I'm saying that the, uh, the xenophobic attacks on people is just an excuse because people are frustrated, they are hungry, poverty, unemployment, all these things are a main cause to all the frustration. And they will take the frustration out on anyone, not only xenophobic, uh, uh, the foreign nationals. The, the reason being that when I was a youngster, when I got out of school, uh, the clothing industry was booming in this country. The knitting mills, the shoe industry, now the furniture industry as well. Now we've got all imports. Now it's all coming from China and, and, and the people are being unemployed because everything is coming ready-made. Now this is what's causing the problem in the country. The government needs to wake up. Import, export. If you import, import a certain... Uh, uh, give it a quota and uh, reopen the factories and then you'll have, I think you'll have close to a couple of millions that will be employed and, uh, you know, things will be better. That's my take on this. Thank mm. you very much. Mm. I'll listen on the radio. All right, Mr. Sheikh. Thanks for calling in with that view. Uh, Stephen, you're calling us from Soweto. Good morning. Morning and to your guest there. Yes. Waiti. Okay, even the intellectuals or the learned in South Africa, right? But why? Right. Yeah, we for South Africa as a country and live freedom. China independent, they like the other, you know, African. I mean, the other countries within SADC. So having freedom is something else. I think you can't actually stand up because you just have freedom, but you don't have independence. You're still relying on someone, right? 1973, I was kissing. But Stephen, Stephen, try and use English for me. I know that you, you can speak English. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let me say okay, thanks sorry for the language anyway, right? What happened was in nineteen seventy three the the foreign children that were studying in Botswana, right? 
foreign children were asked to leave after they've completed the grade 12 or form 5 by then, mm-hmm. right? Why the reason that was, was actually said was because the jobs that are there are for the Botswana children, right? Now, let's come to this topic about xenophobia, right? Cabo de Ocaro, when the heat was set in the fence there, the, the Mozambicans actually fled to the different countries, let's say, up north there. And they were returned. They told them to go back and fight for their own country, right? And then in India, one of the countries there, that, you know, some, uh, their neighbors actually fled to India and they were chased away, right? I said to that who's uh, uh, was it David Mazong uh, when he was um, when he was uh, uh, a mayor saying that we are being xenophobic. I said to them, "You guys, we must actually accept these people from where they come from, from where the people come from, and actually give them accommodations in your own background." Mm. How many people who are talking about xenophobia that we in the you know in the township living under a cake of poverty, right? Well, we get, uh, do they have those people in their own backyards, like they are staying in town, these people, like maybe even the commissioner there, the of commissioner there. He's, staying in, he's not longer staying in the township, but where he was staying, did he actually, how many you know, people have has he actually accommodated there? I mean, your Chinese, your, your whomever want to stay there. And they got the guts to say to us, we are looking for sub-targets when you are giving an example about what is happening to these pasta shops owned by certain people, right? So those people mustn't forget that you are actually, I, I myself, I have children. Where will they work? Like so, 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 Stephen, I want you perhaps, you know, fr- from your own point of view, explain right. to me what you believe to be driving xenophobia so so we heard what the human rights commission has said in terms of the work that they're doing but you who lives in soweto who has seen it happen what do you think drives it in the community poverty mm. because even the children uh, even our children cases you know i'm an old man I, I, i'm actually worried about why will my, ch- my children work for, for you know you you know very well that being at the university Right uh, during your break, you'll go where you'll go and work in this uh, in, the, in, the, in the restaurant, right? The former uh, uh, finance minister Tito Mbuyeni said, "Really, even these jobs, right? Your, your uh, the, in this restaurant, they have been given, they have been preferably been given to those who are uh, non-South African passport holders or IDs." Okay, and that is actually. Capitalism at its best. It thrives where there is confusion. Okay. All right, yeah. Stephen. We're Thanks going for to, the time. We're going to have to leave it there for this morning. Uh, so I did warn earlier that we are going to try and keep things fluid. Uh, given the briefing that we're expecting by the health department, it looks like it has come in a little earlier than anticipated. Uh, the health minister, Joe Pahla, is now briefing uh, the country on the government's response to the discovery of the new variant. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave our conversation on xenophobia abruptly and uh, yeah, not much of an opportunity to get a response from advocate uh, Tsidiso Tipanyani, the CEO of the Human Rights Commission but certainly a conversation we will revisit.